Case Files podcast. We are back. I'm Will Harris, you're Alec Whipple, and the rest of you are hearing for the first time an episode of Yankees Files recorded during the regular season at a time at which the Yankees have been officially eliminated from playoff contention. That hurts. I don't like it. On top of that, I was hoping to be able to get on the podcast today and say it's September 25th and the Irish are undefeated and they came darn close and I'm proud of how they played, but I don't have that one either. So Whipple, this is kind of a somber episode and for reasons that have to do with scheduling and whatnot, we should note that this is really going to be our season in review, which is normally the last episode of the season, but we have more time today than we will next week to record a season wrap-up. So much of that will be hashed out on this podcast, including our end-of-season awards, our review of our bold predictions, and just a reassessment of how the season went. Whipple, with all that, how are you doing? I mean, it's as good as it could be considering your team is eliminated, and I think that comes from just knowing the writing was on the wall. I mean, I just remember Mm -hmm. what we were feeling at the end of 2021. And 2022, we had a few more pods after this point, but that kind of stress at the final days of the season and that heartbreak that came with elimination, I think this is the unique first time in Yankees Files history where it's just kind of resignation. I mean, our year in review will be interesting because I think there are some things to highlight, but it largely looking back, I mean, it wasn't a great year. Like I hate to say it, but there was a lot that was left to be desired. And it's just weird to sit here and think about all that and watch other teams prepare for a lengthy playoff run or teams, you know, just reassessing. And I would say, the Yankees are at the lower end of just things that went right in general, but given compared to expectations, <laughs> I think it really, they might be at the bottom of the league in terms of just the overall assessment. And it's kind of the worst place to be as a sports fan. If you're going to group, you know, the four quadrants of expected a lot, got a lot, expected a little, got a little, expected a lot, got a little, expected a little, got a lot. I think mm. three of those, at least like you're at least satisfied or, you know, you kind of know what's coming. And we're in that quadrant that is kind of the worst place to end up. So I think we, we've we kind of processed it all over the last few weeks. So you know, it's not like anything, any sudden, you know, update. The reason we can do this all day is because the season, for all intents and purposes, is kind of that the story's been written. But it's just not mm-hmm. it's not great. Um, And I am excited to just be done with it but at the same time and i'm sure we'll say this next week it is at least comforting to watch a few more games because baseball on its own despite anything else is just fun to watch and like a game like today you know it means nothing but i just enjoyed you know checking in tuning in and in a week we're not going to have that so uh, alas such is the the complex life of a baseball fan we talk about how disappointed we are we're like But also, like, it's going to suck not having it. It certainly will. And they've got six games left. And hopefully they go out and win them. But, yeah, it's, you know, it's been a disappointing season. I don't think there's any other way to say it. I think you nailed it that the Yankees ended up in the unenviable position of having high expectations and not coming close to 
delivering on them. And look, there are other teams that are similarly positioned. I know Astros fans, for example, are not too pleased with the fact that their team has, you know, hardly better than a coin flips chance of making the playoffs this late in the season. You know, they may not get to 90 wins. I know that, you know, everyone who's a fan of an AL Central team is angry about something. Uh, I, it can go on and on, but the Yankees really did have an unfortunate season. I think we've discussed very often that everything that could have gone wrong and some stuff that we didn't think could have gone wrong all managed to go wrong. And that's how you end up in a place like this. So Whipple, without any further ado, shall we get into our end of season awards? So listeners will remember that at the beginning of the season, we made predictions with regards to which Yankees would win the following awards for the team over the course of this year. And they were Cy Young, MVP, reliever of the year, rookie of the year, comeback player of the year, and breakout player of the year. Whipple, I think the only appropriate way to start this conversation is to listen to your uh, your awarding of the Cy Young, the team Cy Young at that, to the presumptive American League Cy Young winner. Yeah, I mean, Clark Schmidt has had a great year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, listen, if I have That's one, good. if I have one beat, if I have one narrative to push, if it, if, if, you know, we are assigning people, assigning players, you know, if I'm out here repping one person on our Yankees Files narrative assignment draft, it's Garrett Cole. And I have been stalwart ever since the last day of the 2022 season that better things were to come for Garrett Cole in 2023. It really didn't take that much examining to figure out how things would get better for him as he just mm-hmm. had terrible home run luck last year. And that's just one of those things that if that normalizes and if it does better than normalize, which in Garrett Cole's case, it, it did pretty sharply. It's going to make all of your numbers look a lot better, even though the peripherals, the underlying numbers don't entirely change that much. And Garrett Cole this year, it, I think the other factor in this is the league as a whole, you know, pitching has just got or the run environment's gotten a little bit better. Pitching's got a little bit worse. So his numbers in context, mm-hmm. which are very, very good for Garrett Cole, are best in the league for everyone else. And I don't have to run through all of them, but I will because we're talking about it. <laughs> Garrett Cole, league leader in innings, starts ERA, ERA plus, whip, hits per nine innings. Kind of the classic Cy Young case. Noticeably not leading in strikeouts, but he still has 217 strikeouts in 200 innings. But the numbers and also leading in baseball reference war, which is actually a really good predictor of Cy Young. Although we do love F4, I think it's like 10 of the last 14 Cy Youngs have been the league leaders in B-War. And I think B-War does a great job. That makes sense. It just does a great job of how did the guy do? You know, what's the goal of a pitcher to pitch innings and not give up runs? What did Garrett Cole do better than anyone else? He pitched the most innings and gave up the least runs or, you know, we'll see how it shakes out, but he'll be up there in all of those categories. And I think it's just a testament, you know, the numbers, it's a pretty easy, like analytical analysis. I think I had something back in, in June where Garrett Cole was again, doing all the same things he was doing last year, but he just was giving up so much less slug, so much less 
hard contact and less barrels. And that basically fixes his numbers all on his own. And Garrett Cole, you can't say enough about what he's done this year, but purely from the Cy Young perspective, I think having a guy who is entering probably the back half of his prime, one of the smartest pitchers in the league by far, but in a time especially when pitching is really hard to come by because guys are getting injured, guys, you know, the guys who have been previously good either regressed or are facing serious injury. And so the top 10 MLB pitchers from the beginning of the year looks a lot different and noticeably did not include Garrett Cole. And I think Whenever the awards shake out, Cole is essentially a lock to win Cy Young. The narrative supports it. The numbers support it. For the Yankees specifically, I mean, you could not ask for more for the highest paid pitcher contract in history to seem at worst reasonable value. At best, some, you know, you could argue given other pitchers in the league, he is underpaid. I'm, I'm just putting it out there. Maybe. I think that Garrett Cole is the unequivocal positive of this year and... I don't think there's really another argument for Yankee Cy Young because when you win the league Cy Young, I think that kind of settles the case. And if I end up jinxing him, I'm so sorry. I would be, that would make me more upset than probably anything else that's happened this year. But I think the narrative is on his side and I really doubt he pitches that long in Toronto anyway. I think it's going to be a short outing for him. Whipple, does it happen to be the case that your preseason pick for this award was Garrett Cole? I mean, don't, you know, we're not going to spoil bold predictions, but I think I might have made a very bold prediction that came pretty true. No, no, no. I just mean for our award category. Oh, yes. Well, yeah. (laughs) As long as Garrett Cole is a Yankee, he will be my Cy Young, Uh, even if he's bad, because as we saw last year, I think it's very easy for him Listen, like Garrett Cole is just a a pitcher's dream. Like, I, I sorry, I could go off right now, but like the mechanics, the build, the durability, the high level performance, like there is nobody who is going to top that. What he gives, and I spent the last two years arguing with everybody in my real life and in my virtual life that he's better than Jacob Degrom. He's a top ten pitcher in the league. Like, oh no, health is a skill. Oh, the home runs are going to regress, <laughs> and I'm going to be taking many victory laps this off you sure will because i was right and i'll be doing that uh i'll be taking glaber torres victory laps one thing i will not be taking victory laps about and this will be a theme throughout this episode is luis severino i picked luis severino for our cy young category i was really bullish on how he would perform this year the era estimators loved him last year his xfip was under 3.4. His XERA was under three. That was in 102 innings. I figured, oh, he'll be healthy. This will be terrific. His BABIP spiked by 90 points. He was at almost a 21% home run per fly ball. Uh, He, people were making ridiculously hard contact. He was striking out fewer guys. He was walking more guys. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. He was injured at various times. And I've already eulogized Luis Severino's Yankees tenure on a prior episode, so I won't do that at length again. But I'm sad about the way Luis Severino's season went. I think it is one of the things that contributed in large part to the Yankees year being as bad as it's been. And I just wish it had gone better. Whipple, my pick for MVP was Aaron Judge. 
And if Aaron Judge had played a full season, I think he would have won back-to-back league MVPs. He's the leader of the Yankees in Fangraph's war by, I think, 50%. He's at 4.8 to Glaber's 3.2. He nearly led the AL in home runs despite missing 50 games. He's ridiculous. Aaron Judge is the best hitter on the planet. Uh, We don't need to dive into the statistics. Just as every year that Garrett Cole is a Yankee, he will be your Cy Young pick. I think it's appropriate that every year that Judge is a Yankee, he is the MVP pick. He was terrific. I don't know if you have anything to add. If memory serves, you picked him as well. I think these first two categories don't leave much room for debate. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about who the MVP of the team is, I actually, I mean... It's obviously Judge or Cole. I feel like I'm ready to give it to them both, the co-MVP, because I think without them in any capacity, this team just crashes and burns. And my heart says, just give it to Garrett Cole. You know, Judge was injured for two months. But you look at the numbers, like you said, I mean, he's injured for two months and he's basically better than anyone else on this team by a significant margin other than Gleyber Torres. And I just think what he's done even, you know, in the first few months, especially, and coming back, you know, there's no fault of his own that this all happened. But the multiple three home run games, the fact that he has an outside chance to, you know, get close to 40 home runs, I think just his presence in the lineup is all of his rate stats are just where, you know, they were last year. I mean, I think between what I just said about Cole and him, I, I really can't pick between them and I'm just going to split it. And I think it's fitting that they are co-MVPs because they were, you know, you don't really want your MVP to represent all of your performance, but I feel like for these two, they kind of took up maybe, you know, 75% of like the positive Yankee highlights this year. One interesting thing to watch is that Aaron Judge is in danger of eclipsing for the second straight year his WRC plus from 2017. He just needs to raise it by three points in the last six games of the season, which is Certainly doable. I'm down with the co-MVP. I will say I kind of think the Cy Young category exists for a reason, and I would probably push a little bit harder for Aaron Judge to own this alone, especially since he's been equally valuable by Fangraph's war to Garrett Cole in just about two thirds of a season. But I see where you're coming from. Yeah, one of the weird things of baseball is, like, why we can't just have, like, a best hitter and a best pitcher award, but... Yeah, that's what it should be. And then people are like, well, the MVP is kind of the best hitter, but it's, like, not. It's clearly not. It's not. And (laughs) pitchers keep winning it. Right. Like, Like, I I don't know. I just always think that's that's funny. But, I mean, yeah, I... I agree with you. You you really can't go wrong with either one. And I think one of the, the the tweets of the day was... A, a poll between who would you rather have judge last year Acuna this year and a lot of people are taking Acuna and I encourage you I, I implore you in fact to go look at how good Aaron Judge was last year because I think people just look at the home runs and think it was a narrative vote and I know our listeners don't but to the general public just go look at just how good somebody has to be to get to almost 12 F war. Yeah. Aaron judge last year had 28 fewer plate appearances or is it 18? Sorry. Let me just make sure 18 fewer plate appearances than Ronald Acuna has at the time of our recording this and 3.8 more fan graphs war. Ronald Acuna is having an incredible year. Ronald Acuna is a phenomenal player. Ronald Acuna this year has a lower WRC plus than Aaron judge. Like, People 
people are quick to forget that Aaron Judge truly is the best hitter on the planet, and people are quick to forget that last year Aaron Judge put up the best non-Barry Bond season we had seen in, like, 60 years. What do you think his MVP finish is? Is it top 10? Oh, I think it's probably back half of the top 10. Okay. But yeah, I I, I, think it too. You know, Aaron Judge's last, what is it? Something like 258 games at a 195 WRC plus and 16 and a half fan graphs were. That's ridiculous. Like guys don't go out and do that. But I don't think Judge will get credit for carrying through the performance from last year. And a five war season, which is what he's gonna have, is terrific, but I think I I I don't think he's gonna be like really competing for that award. My hypothetical that didn't happen, but I'm like mad over unnecessarily <laughs> mad over is Judge basically replicating last year coming close and still losing to Otani. Yeah, so he, I, it's, it's good that we like don't 55. have to yeah, it's like 55 home runs, same same stats, and mm. that you know it was going to happen. It was, yeah. It's good that we don't have to confront that. Yeah, agreed. Reliever of the year. This is another category where I was disappointed, so I'll let you go first. So... First, I who pe- did you pick preseason? Preseason? I think I picked Clay Holmes, right? I don't know. I have my picks up here. I think... <laughs> Oh, I'll have to pull up my picks. This is we're we're mailing it in for the. All right, the I'll season, go then. So I picked Jonathan Lewisigo. Uh, people who listen to this podcast or follow us on Twitter know that I love Jonathan Lewisigo. I think he's electric. I often tweet that it's a joy to watch Jonathan Lewisigo pitch. And you know what? It was a joy to watch Jonathan Lewisigo pitch this year. He just only pitched seventeen and two thirds innings, which was really disappointing. Pitched at the beginning of the year, got hurt. Pitched at the end of the year. Got hurt again. It sucks. Like, I, I wish this guy could stay healthy. I wish the Yankees, you know, had been positioned better and maybe he could have appeared in the playoffs. He, you know, the the stuff was there. He was a ground ball machine like always. But you obviously can't give this to a guy who only made 17 appearances. So that brings us to Clay Holmes. And... As the resident Glaber Torres stan, I think this statement will carry some weight coming from me. Clay Holmes is the most unfairly maligned Yankee that I've seen in like years. Clay Holmes, people act like the world is ending every time he comes into a game. His ERA is under three. His FIP is 2.7. His XFIP is under three. He strikes out more than 10 per nine. He doesn't give up home runs in spite of... BABIP against him being slightly above league average, meaning he is getting unlucky, especially since he generates two-thirds ground balls. He's been phenomenal. He's been ridiculously effective. He got his, what was it, like his 22nd save, which is a career high for him. Clay Holmes has been awesome this year, and I think that he is more than deserving of our Reliever of the Year award. But more than anything, People should reevaluate how they think about Clay Holmes because the guy is great. You are witnessing a truly great reliever. He is ridiculously effective. And people, Clay Holmes is the greatest evidence 
that people don't understand what we're talking about when we talk about BABIP being highly luck-based. Sure, sometimes Clay Holmes goes out there and walks a bunch of guys, and he shouldn't do that. That's bad. But independent of that, Clay Holmes gets screwed by infield hits more than like any pitcher I've ever seen, and just generally screwed by weak contact. And the way people react to and talk about Clay Holmes during one of the outings in which he is screwed by weak contact is perfect evidence that people can act like they know what BABIP is or the implications of it, but they really don't. Because if they did, they would understand that Clay Holmes almost never like truly implodes. He just gets screwed by BABIP. So I'm glad that he, in spite of all that, put together a year deserving of him being recognized as the best reliever on the team. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think he, obviously, you don't want to walk three and a half guys per nine innings, but you also, he... Of course not. Like, he's striking out more guys this year. He's largely putting together, like you said, outings that are sometimes derailed by bad luck. But for the most part, I mean, he's locked down the ninth inning for the Yankees this year. And maybe people are still viewing him based on the first half of last year. And I think that's a little unfair. Um, But I think people are also viewing him based on the second half of last year. I think this year was like a largely more consistent effort from him. And Mm -hmm. I think he's, yeah, I think he is absolutely capable of being in the ninth. He's a great pick. I think I was thinking about picking him. I'll go because I also picked Loisica for preseason reliever of the year. I think we both were swayed by um, the ability of, you know, his, I, I just thought he would be able to take over the closer role. I think he bounce, you know, bouncing back, being able to come back in full force, and he just never got his season off the ground, and that's really disappointing. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about two guys who, when healthy, are top ten relievers in baseball, right. certainly. So I don't fault us. <laughs> I think it's unfortunate the way Jonathan Loisaga's season went, but so yeah. I was back and forth between two guys, but I ultimately am going to. I don't know if you had similar thoughts about this other pitcher, but um, I moved some, I did some category manipulation and I've also done some category manipulation. (laughs) So I think we might be going the same direction. We just made different choices about how to manipulate the categories. So I'm picking Ian Hamilton for reliever of the year. And I think it genuinely is between three pitchers. One of them is Clay Holmes. One of them is one of these other pitchers who is the subject (laughs) of category manipulation. But I just wanted to talk about Hamilton because I think he also could work in breakout player of the year. But the more I was looking at, like genuinely, I don't think you need to put him in another category to talk about the Mm -hmm. season he had. From coming out of nowhere, pitching 54 innings, uh, striking out um, about 11 guys per nine innings, sub three ERA, and despite being injured a few times, I think just being one of the stabilizing forces in the back end of the bullpen. When Tommy Canely was having some bumps in the road, when Michael King was having some bumps in the road and moved to a different role, I think he and Holmes were like the two guys who were available. I guess Wandy yep. too, but you know, he's okay. Wandy was available too, but I'm talking about Ian Hamilton. So this <laughs> is Ian Hamilton focus. I think he was one of the two or three most consistently, most effectively. Uh, one of the best pitchers out of the Yankees bullpen. And the Yankees pull relievers out of thin air every year, but I don't really, I we never see it coming, and I don't really feel like I was prepared for watching Ian Hamilton's Slombio carve up hitters all year. It was 
really fun, I think, having a guy, you know, on a team where a lot of guys disappointed, having a guy exceed expectations to that level. And I think he's, you know, a huge part of that bullpen for the coming years. I think the Yankees really found a great pitcher, and I'm excited to see what they do with him. Yeah, so I agree. And it's appropriate that Rookie of the Year is the category that's up next. I picked Davey Garcia (laughs) preseason, which was complete wish casting to be Rookie of the Year. But that's the category that I found for Ian Hamilton. So Ian Hamilton, although he made his Major League debut in 2018 and pitched in the majors in 2020 and 2022, had rookie eligibility this year. So for him to, in his rookie season, (laughs) put up, you know, one Fangraphs war in over 50 innings pitch, he led Yankees relievers in FIP and ERA. I was using a 40-inning cutoff because if you make it a 30-inning cutoff, then Brito as a reliever actually has a lower... ERA, but for guys who were like in the bullpen all year, it's Hamilton. I I think he was phenomenal. You know, everything you said, he was a weapon coming out of there. Even the ERA estimators don't think he was getting like ridiculously lucky. He has one of the coolest pitchers in baseball in the Slambio. He was just another one of these guys that the Yankees kind of conjured out of thin air to be a dominant reliever. And I believe, believed and do believe that he is deserving of recognition on this podcast. And the category I found for him was rookie of the year, which is reflective of some other thoughts I have, (laughs) but uh, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah. I actually was thinking about it. I wasn't sure if he had retained rookie eligibility, so I just decided not to go there, but I think that's a great pick. There definitely were their fair share of rookies that contributed to some level this year. And maybe we'd be talking about the Dominguez uh, Rookie of the Year Award if he had been able to stay on the field for another few weeks. I had the same thought. Um, So I, I mean, I feel like there's a guy that, you know, the big elephant in the room is Volpe. And I ultimately went with Volpe. I think it's unfortunate that we can't both be more definitive about picking Volpe because I think he obviously had the most opportunity. But listen, like the inconsistencies there for sure. Look, Look. (laughs) there were some (laughs) bad stretches. There are some bad stretches. I don't think anyone's going to be happy with Anthony Volpe. I certainly got excited a few times and might've said some things that couldn't really be backed up. (laughs) But in fairness to me, I did say that if he had a good September, he would be in the running. And I still think that's true. I think that's true. He was at the point after that Tiger series where he looked like he was going to take the leap. And I think the Volpe inconsistency is disappointing because he just every time he's been on the precipice uh he's regressed back and had a really bad cold stretch but I don't think that overshadows that as a rookie he was able to come up and play a full season the bigs put up over three baseball reference war I know Fangraphs war is worse but defensively definitely a positive aspect of the Yankee season is that they had one very good defender playing shortstop for the whole year. And I don't think we should undervalue that given what we have looked at for the last few years. And Volpe, like you said on Twitter today, had has had extended stretches where he has been the bat that people want him to be or think he can be. And I think his challenge or you know how he's going to develop is trying to do that for the length of a full season. And it's 
I think the thing with Volpe that is the most frustrating is like it seems like the fixes are obvious. Like we all go back to the chicken parm chicken batting parm. stance fix, but even now, I mean, Ryan Garcia said Volpe needs to work on bat speed, and I 100% agree. Like you watch him, and he's just missing on things that he should be hitting. He's fouling him back, and I think if he was a little bit stronger and had the bat speed, winter at drive line, whatever that means. Like, it, it is right there for him. It's right in front of him. Um, and I, that makes me excited. It also makes me disappointed that, again, we couldn't be effusive in the praise of Volpe. But I think, you know, I'd give his rookie season probably, like, a B-. minus. B- minus is exactly what I was thinking. And, and, yeah, I think you could go Hamilton. Like, I wasn't really going down that route. But, unfortunately, he wasn't really pressed otherwise on rookie competition. Um, and so I think it's fair to – if you're – conclusion of Volpe's year is that it was slightly below average but it was still the best rookie season on the Yankees there's many things to be excited about I think that's totally fair um and if you know if we dare say that online we would be torn apart so and it's worth pointing out it's worth pointing out that Anthony Volpe had a 245 plate appearance stretch from chicken parm which was June 13th until August 31st over which he hit 253 332 479 I think it was like a 124 WRC plus so it's there for Volpe. He needs his bad stretches to be less bad, but like the the guy is there. Uh, I also support a winter of building bat speed. I think having experience under his belt is, of course, very valuable. I think he's a, a fine pick for rookie of the year. As you said, he was not really pressed by much competition. Whipple, who was your preseason pick for comeback player of the year? Oh, wait. I need to look at my preseason pick for rookie of the year. I think it was actually Volpe. So I'm sure it was. So it was. comeback player, I had Stanton. I think that was yeah. kind of where we both were thinking. And for the first few months, it looked – or sorry, first few weeks, it looked like we were going to be proven correct. But unfortunately, Stanton's injury and poor performance has made him one of the biggest question marks um, going into next year. One of the guys who I think is the anti-question mark, exclamation point, I don't know, period, um, from kind of coming into the season as a question mark, or at least a slight question mark, is the guy I pick for comeback player of the year. And that's Michael King. And I think comeback player doesn't always have to mean you sucked one year and you got better the next year. I think comeback player is whatever you want it to mean. And in this case, it's he came back from a complete elbow fracture and turned into the reliever we saw last year, but more importantly, a really good starting pitcher, which I don't think we Mm -hmm. saw coming a month and a half ago. And Michael King as a starter is one of the most exciting things I think we can say that we saw from the team this year. And watching him strike out 13 Blue Jays, like I just never would have predicted this. I don't think the minute he started, I was kind of the mindset that I think everyone else was, where you know the stuff might not translate. This is kind of like, they're desperate. They're going to see what happens. Nowhere did we think that he was going to be almost, I wouldn't say guaranteed, but like he's right in the conversation, if not slotted in for a rotation spot next year. And I think that's really cool. Like away from what his numbers actually were, because they were pretty good. I think for Michael King on a personal level, who really wanted to start three years ago and basically was told he couldn't and had to be put in the bullpen to go through his arc of becoming a really good reliever and then experiencing a devastating injury on a really good team and not getting to contribute at all down the stretch uh, last year. 
coming back, proving himself again, and then proving something that basically no one thought he could do, proving that he could not only do it, but do it better than anyone reasonably thought possible. I just think that's really cool. And like that to me is comeback player of the year material where you are coming back and just proving everyone wrong and turning yourself into one of the unquestionably strong parts of what shaping up to be uh, the 2024 Yankees. So that's, I, I think on a narrative level, you know, the numbers, again, the numbers were good. 121 strikeouts, 94 innings, like everything uh, below the surface shows he probably was the, if not the strongest, one of the strongest members of the bullpen this year. But I think it's the work he's done as a starter that really solidified this for me. Because I think midseason, I was in the Tommy Canely camp. And, you know, there are other options for comeback player of the year. But I think narrative-wise, you really can't get much better than Michael King. I agree. I also had Mike King. He set a career high in innings by 31 and counting, potentially. He set a career high in F4 by 0.7. He strikes out everyone. And since he became a full-time starter, his ERA is 1.27. I just want to take a moment. We both picked Giancarlo Stanton for this before the season. Giancarlo Stanton defies analysis. In addition to having 55 home runs and 136 RBIs in his last 208 games, which I think you'd sign up for. He's done that while hitting 201, 286, 442. His BABIP in that period is 214. How do you have a 214 BABIP while your barrel rate's 17.5%, your hard hit rate is 50%, your average exit velocity is 94 miles an hour, and you're hitting the ball on average at 11.7 degrees of launch angle? And you know, you're, if anything, hitting fewer ground balls than you were previously in your career to counteract the fact that you're slow as hell. I have no idea. So it's possible that I just get roped into picking Giancarlo Stanton for this award again in March because nothing's changed about the way this guy puts bat to ball. And I, it's, it's baffling. But anyway, Mike King, I agree. And finally, breakout player of the year. Preseason, I had Greg Weissert, and I think there are things to like about the way Greg Weissert has pitched this year. The ERA estimators think, at least XFIP does, that he's something like a mid to high threes pitcher. He's done a good job getting strikeouts. It's in the mid to high nines per nine. He still walks a few too many guys. He's had some bad home run per fly ball luck, which is why XFIP likes him. He's getting almost 60% ground balls, which you love to see. He pitched two good innings today against Arizona, allowing just one hit and striking out three batters. Greg Weissert obviously only ultimately pitched 17 to third innings for this team, so it's not him as much as I thought he was going to be. Maybe the Ian Hamilton, the reliever they created out of thin air. I went with Johnny Brito here, and... When you look on the surface at Johnny Brito's stats, they certainly don't blow you away. 0.2 Fangraphs war, ERA in the mid fours, FIP in the high fours, ERA estimators don't like him, not getting a ton of strikeouts, giving up a good number of home runs per nine. Like, there's you, you look at that and you don't really love it, but I think there's more to the Johnny Brito story. First, obviously... You have that this guy was basically a non prospect. He was somewhere in the middle of Yankees top 30 list. He was not in the top 100 and he contributed to this team all year. 
Like, let's not forget that in his first two starts, he pitched 10 innings and gave up only five hits and one run. And then when the Yankees at the end of the season decided, hey, you're actually going to be a reliever after a start in which he got shelled in Boston. Well, in those games, those, those, what was that? In those 20 and two thirds innings since his first full-time reliever relief appearance against the Nats on August 24th, he's pitched to a 1.31 ERA, a FIP under three. Again, he's getting kind of lucky. The BABIP's super low. The home run per fly ball's super low, but there's just a lot to like, man. Like he hasn't been walking a ton of guys. He's shown an ability to get strikeouts. I know Ryan Garcia is big on like the quality of his fastballs. So we'll see, you know, what the Yankees can do with that. But I just think it's cool that for a guy who was basically a non-prospect, they somehow out of thin air just turned him into this really effective multi-inning reliever. And that's a valuable guy to have, you know, I think what you see when there are injuries in bullpens is how valuable it is to have lower leverage guys that you trust to pitch middle innings because obviously you want to get it to your high leverage guys. You can't have your high leverage guys coming in in the fifth and sixth innings. If this is who Johnny Brito is, especially if, you know, they get in the lab with him and, you know, he becomes even more effective. That's really exciting. And I think the fact that he was able to contribute 85 good enough innings to this team this year for a guy who really was not on the radar as a major contributor, I think that's great. And it, to me, is enough for him to have earned the breakout player of the year. What about you? Yeah, no, that's very fair. I think I, I, I support that. I think the numbers are there for him to be maybe, you know, the next Michael King as Michael King potentially might be the next starter. Like that's what the Yankees do well. And there we have seen so much evidence of it that I trust them implicitly to keep doing it. So I'd rather bet on Johnny Brito to do that than bet against him to do that. For for me, my preseason pick was Harrison Bader. And the besides drawing your ire and yeah, animosity. You sure did. Um, and now finding himself in Cincinnati. Uh, I think Bader's season was maybe one of the biggest disappointments just because he couldn't stay on the field. And when he did stay on the field, I think he showed flashes of being the player we thought, but also could not hit righties and that just wasn't going to fly. So I was disappointed by him. Definitely not a breakout player of the year. Mm -mm. I think the next level was not achieved. Uh, I'm going with Clark Schmidt on this yeah, one. Yeah, that's and a very I think Clark good pick. Schmidt I think Clark Schmidt is kind of in the same um, camp as Brito in that the numbers don't look incredibly good, but in context where a guy who has faced a lot of injuries in his career was basically handed a rotation spot and at first seemed like he was going to throw it away. I mean, let's not forget the Clark Schmidt experience yep. was almost derailed after like that fourth start in Cleveland or wherever he, I mean, his first three starts, he didn't pitch past the fourth and he gave up three or four runs in each of them and his era was almost nine when after april 18th and i think slowly but surely he started to stabilize and throw in the good outings to go along with the bad outings but ever since that april 18th start 
he pitched 136 innings at a 4 420 ERA and although that's not crazy it's exactly what was needed in a rotation where people were going down like flies where there was a lot of really bad performance Clark Schmidt was just giving good average to good performance and at some point I don't know how this finally shook out but there was that stat where it was like most times in the the league giving up two or or three or less runs and like five or more innings. Yeah, he was pitching like five and a third innings and giving up three runs basically every time out. And that was fine. Right. Which is like what you want from your fifth starter from a guy who couldn't stay healthy, has never pitched as many innings before. I don't know what his long-term future is. I don't know if it's trade piece. I don't know if it's back end of the rotation. I think it's up in the air, but the Yankees know what they have in Clark Schmidt now. And I... Just really important, you know, if you're if you're injured, you're never going to be able to show the team what you can do. Mm-hmm. And Clark Schmidt was able to do that for a full year this year and do it in a rotation that really needed innings. And I think that given the preseason context, he didn't blow people away. He didn't have a breakout eye-popping season, but he was able to show everyone what he's capable of. And I look forward to continuing to watch his development. I don't know if it's going to come with the Yankees or somewhere else, but... He's just a pitcher that when he's on is really fun to watch. And I think especially I think one of the hardest things to do is turn around as a young player, a bad start. And he was able to slowly chip away at that massive ERA and get it to something respectable. And I think that's pretty cool. I agree. I think that's a great pick. Whipple, we predicted the leaders in eight statistical categories for the New York Yankees. Those categories were... Home runs, runs batted in, batting average, OPS, war, wins, ERA, and saves. I predicted six of them correctly, and that was easy because those answers were just Judge Cole and Holmes. (laughs) The ones I got wrong I think are interesting. One I'm kicking myself for, Glaber Torres. I did think Judge was going to hit like 310 again this year, which was probably a reasonable thing to believe because his expected weighted on base is exactly what it was last year. He's just underperformed it a little bit. So Glaber Torres is the the team leader in batting average, though. He is hitting over 270. He's had a phenomenal season. I think, you know, my appreciation for Glaber Torres is well documented and I don't need to rehash that, but I, I feel like I should have gotten that one right, honestly. And the other one I'm kicking myself for, I'm sure you got right. I had Carlos Rodon leading the team in ERA. I thought he was going to pitch like 130 innings of 2.6 ERA ball or 2.8 ERA ball. And even if the kind of season I expected from Carlos Rodon had transpired, he still probably would have had a slightly higher ERA than Garrett Cole, but that was a bad miss on my part. I should have gotten that. Do you have any reflections on your leaders in these statistical categories before we move on to bold predictions? Yeah, so I picked, I mean, I should have just gone Cole all the way because that's my narrative, but... Oh, you had Nestor leading the team in wins, right? I just said, like, wins are fluky, and I just, you know, didn't know it was going to happen. You know, just go with Garrett Cole. I've learned that. I've made money off of that concept, so... Yeah, you have. um, And then the other one I picked that was um so you picked then judge for rbis i so i did pick judge for rbis he is the leader in rbis so i picked stanton and i think that was fair but yeah i mean the rbi leaderboard for the yankees isn't super sexy right now it's great um 
And then, yeah, I think everything else was about the same. And I subsequently, again, learned that picking Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole to lead categories usually will pay off even if one of them is injured for a few months. So that was cool. It's kind of amazing. Garrett Cole has pitched 200 innings this year. That's not new for him. But he's only gotten 18 decisions. Mm -hmm. In 2021, he pitched 181 innings and got 24 decisions. Yeah. just... Again, that's win, wins are fickle, wins are fluky. So, Whipple, it's time for us to move on to bold predictions. We both made five. If memory serves, yours are going to have aged pretty well. Mine are going to have aged pretty poorly. My first was that Anthony Volpe will play a significant portion of the season. I should have stopped there. Wouldn't have been bold, though. But we'll start the majority of his games away from shortstop. Anthony Volpe has not played an inning away from shortstop. So, that one was pretty bad by me. Yeah. Remembering the conversation that we were having at that time, I think it was fair, but I think events that transpired immediately after made it unlikely that was going to occur. Um, My first one was potentially the best bold prediction in the history of bold predictions. Yeah, I think it is. Win the AL Cy Young Award and have the most war in the league. And even though he's not leading in F war, he's leading in baseball reference war. And I don't think you even have to go that far. I mean, I've already talked about it, but this was a a big win on my part. Oh, that's not the prediction I thought was the best prediction. I think we're still getting to that. This is the one. But that's the one I'm proud of, and I've ridden far. The next one is the one you're probably thinking of. Yeah. So now we're going to get into a couple of predictions that I made, which showed my faith in the Yankees pitching staff, but also that maybe it was misplaced or at least I was let down. I said that Nestor Cortez would be as good as he was in 2022. He was neither as good nor as healthy. I'm disappointed. That's basically all I have to say about that. Let's get to your prediction because yours was a lot better and more fun. Yeah, so my second bold prediction was that Clark Schmidt was going to be no worse than the third most valuable pitcher on the Yankees staff. And I meant starter. I mean, the way that things kind of shook out, I think relief relievers passed him. But I'm going to go, I meant, you know, I'll go with the what I meant, which was in the rotation. And that ended up being true. Nestor Cortez obviously injured. Luis Severino, regression. And... Domingo Herman, a lot of stuff. Carlos yeah. Rodon, injury, regression. It was just a bad year for the Yankees rotation. And we talked about Schmidt. I think his performance in an ordinary year might not be the worthy of a top three spot in the rotation. But given everybody around Cole this year, I think Schmidt, you know, got this basically by showing up to work every day. <laughs> so not like exactly what I intended, but I think... I, I mean, I'll take another victory lap on this one. Um, sure. You know, I got a little bit right and a little bit had to be gotten right for me, but that's that's baseball season. Yeah, it's impressive. And he did, even if you include relievers, those relievers being Mike King, Clark does end up third in Fangraph's war among Yankees pitchers who pitched at least one inning this year. So good on you. I'm sorry that it happened in the way that it did. (laughs) My third bold prediction was that Glaber Torres will still be a Yankee on Halloween. Obviously, things of, like, bad natures could transpire that make this not true. But given that 
MLB teams will not have started transacting with one another by Halloween. Glaber Torres surviving the trade deadline, which is really what I was getting at, has happened. I feel good about being right about that. I'm glad that they didn't move Glaber Torres, and I hope that next Halloween he has been extended by the New York Yankees. Yeah, I mean, that was a good prediction given that I think a lot of people would not have agreed, and I, I would have agreed, but I think it was still bold to say, and so good job on that one. My next one was that the um, that one of Josh Donaldson and Aaron Hicks will see significant playing time into the end of the season. Um, I guess I didn't write for the Yankees. I, that's what I, I did say for the Yankees, but just reading my notes, um, I, I technically could take a win, but I will. I will not take a win. I think Hicks obviously is um, long gone. I guess I forget which one I said was more likely to do it, but John. I don't remember. There was a time where it seemed like Josh Donaldson might keep this going. And then he got hurt, mm-hmm. and then he got released. And so this was, I will not take any kind of partial win on this, despite my almost, uh, or my <laughs> ambiguous writing. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can't claim credit. Yeah, I'm glad that that one did not turn out to be correct. My next bold prediction was that Luis Severino would start the All-Star game. We don't need to rehash this. I curse Luis Severino. Can we please get to your bold prediction? So my next one was the first Yankees no-hitter, or sorry, the first, yeah, it was the first Yankees no-hitter at Yankee Stadium since 1999 will be thrown. Mm. And to be fair to me, even though I'm not taking any kind of credit on this, I, you know, if I had phrased this a little bit differently, I could have gotten it correct. If I had said, you know, anything about a perfect game, I could have <laughs> gotten it correct. But I did not, and Domingo Herman throwing a perfect game, one of the weirdest events of the season, Definitely. does not fall in this category. Even though I was thinking no-hitter, it happened in Oakland. We question if it really happened, given <laughs> yeah. the context of that game. But um, that that was alas not to be. I will say that I also, the other avenue I'm referring to is the... <laughs> honestly too weird to have really be believed the September Yankees Brewers game. Oh where, my gosh. Where they got no hit and won. Yeah. The, the 10 and a half inning, no hitter. Um, so but weird. That can't count. Cause obviously there was a no hitter at Yankee stadium last year and in 2003 by the Astros. So a lot of partial ways I could, you know, try to wordsmith my way into this one, but I won't use my law powers for, for that means. I appreciate yet. that. Thank you. So my final bold prediction was that Oswaldo Cabrera would start multiple games at seven different positions, making him the first Yankee since Clay Bellinger in 2000 to play multiple games at every non-pitcher catcher position and the only Yankee in the integration era to start multiple games at the at every non-pitcher and catcher position. Now, I should have just made this less specific because Oswaldo did appear at seven different positions this year, but... I didn't, so it was wrong, and I think is less impressive. We, I guess, can point out that Isaiah Kiner-Falefa played every outfield spot plus third base, pitcher, second base, and shortstop, so he also managed to appear at seven positions, but weirdly, catcher, a position he has played in the major leagues, wasn't one of them, And first base, of course, was the other. So 
The Yankees had a couple guys play seven positions this year, which I guess is interesting, but it's not what I predicted. Yeah, I, I give you credit for thinking along those lines. Thank you. So my last one was the Yankees will have multiple 2020 guys this year. Um, yeah. And the Yankees had a 2020 guy, but I think given the players, I, I thought I said three. No, I think I said, I think you said, I think I said three had a chance to. I do my notes say I no think more. you mentioned Glaber, Bader, and Volpe. Yeah, my notes say multiple, so I would have given myself credit with two. Alas, mm-hmm. alas and alack. Uh, the Yankees <laughs> had two 2010 guys. The Yankees had one 2020 guy in Volpe. Yep. Uh, Glaber hit 25 or I guess, you know what, <laughs> technically, if Glaber stole seven bases and hit five home runs in this <laughs> last week. So if that happens, emergency episode to talk about how this yeah. was right. Um, but unfortunately, it seems like he's going to come up short. I think my mind was really going towards Bader as the most likely second yep. guy. And he neither store, stole 20 bases nor hit 20 home runs. He only hit seven and stole 17. Yeah. Um, other than that, IKF had double-digit steals. And Stanton and Judge had over 20 home runs, but none of them came close in the other aspects. So that was not a win for me. Should we talk about some of the best games of the year? Sure. When I was looking at this, there's actually less than I would think, but I think last year just had so many good games that I think we were spoiled. I agree. So the obvious two that come to mind for me are May 13th against... Tampa, the Yankees go down 6 nothing against McClanahan and then come back thanks largely in part to home runs by Kyle Higashioka and, well, one home run by Kyle Higashioka and two by Aaron Judge to win the game 9-8. Whipple, bonus points if you can tell me who the winning pitcher for the New York Yankees was in that game because I saw this name and I went wow that feels like a long time ago oh geez um I kind of remember it being someone wild but I I can't remember who I it's not Albert Abreu it's not Albert Abreu okay. that was the it's next a guy day, the it's Albert. a guy we have not seen in a long time oh my god uh, I I don't know Wandy Peralta got the save. The winning pitcher in that game was the disgraced Jimmy Cordero. Oh, right. I remember the Wandy save because that game yep. came down to the wire. I would it say, I, mean, I think I know the other one you're going to say, and that one might be better, but I would yep. say that one was like, it was up there. I mean, oh yeah, it, it's, it's a worthy best game of the year candidate. Absolutely. The other one I had in mind was... The walk-off in 10 innings against the Orioles that was highlighted by Aaron Judge hitting a home run off Felix Bautista, who was and remained until he got hurt, absolutely untouchable this year in the ninth inning. It was actually highlighted by my attendance, too. It was also highlighted (laughs) by your attendance. I mean, that's the the homer pick where I'd say that one is... I mean, it's definitely the best game I've ever seen. And I think it's up there. I think the one you said before is up there. I might give it to the Yankees Brewers game though. Like that one was <laughs> such a weird so wild game. And I guess in terms of like most exciting, I think it's got to be one of the first two you just said, but in terms of like game of the year, the one we're going to be looking back and saying, how did that happen? Where were you when this happened? I, I think it's the Yankees Brewers game. I, that game was just crazy. Um, the fact that yeah. a team could get no hit into the 11th and win is like, 
just yeah it's baseball it's not just yankees weird it's like mlb historic weird so those are probably my top three i think yeah i think i think those would be pretty unequivocally the top three and because i asked you about the winning pitcher in that yankees rays game do you remember and it was only a few weeks ago who the winning pitcher in the yankees brewers game was is it um is it miskowitz yeah, <laughs> Anthony Misevich. Is that actually you say it? You say it, Misevich. Okay, well, I was wrong. We can edit that out. Yeah, but it's it's the it's the guy you were talking about. So, some other ones that I was thinking of. Um, I mean, I think you have to say Domingo's perfect game as just yep. like a, a notable moment. I think the game before the Tampa uh, comeback was really good. The Rizzo eighth inning home run on the Friday night game against Tampa. Um, sure. I think that might. That end of May stretch was definitely some of the best vibes of the season. Uh, a lot of great games happened in that stretch. Um, even the Judge in Toronto games that that feels like a million years ago. The, oh my gosh! Um, I think I I'm also gonna shout out. Well, I'll shout out the Astros get, sweep in Houston because that was pretty. Oh, cool. Oh, absolutely. Um, yep. Dominguez with a couple of big home runs in those games. One of the other ones, two more. I want to shout out the. Um, Lamehi walk off against Toronto, where it was the the Manoa battle. Yep. I think it was yep. Cole Manoa, um, and then Volpe go ahead home run the eighth, and then Peralta gives up a home run to Jansen. DJ wins it, and then you know what? We got to shout out the game we went to because it was a very fun game in the middle of a very bad stretch. We both were there. I know it helped you recover from your mentally debilitating. Uh, a game attended the night before. Oh my gosh, um, yeah. It kind of ended our watching Yankees games in person year on a high note and Kyle Higashioka homered. And I think that's always fun. It was fun for me to see your reaction. So even though it might not be on a best games list, I think personally it was one of the best games we had collectively been to. Yeah. That, that game was a ton of fun and I'm glad that we went to it and not the one that was played the day before, which I did attend or the day after. Yeah. I've, I've, as I said to you, I've suffered through many Fenway games like that. And I think you this was your version of that. So, um, yeah. 2023, a weird year. Like, I somehow was providing some good luck, but also might have cursed the team outside of Garrett Cole. We're going to have to do a deep dive into yeah. this in the offseason. Yeah, we will. That The beginning of season four, I think, will include a lot of reflection on the, the role you and I played in the fortune of, <laughs> or lack thereof, really, of the 2023 Yankees. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Maybe more than the offseason moves. Yeah. So Whipple, we've kind of covered it. We've talked about our bold prediction. We've talked about who we thought the stat leaders would be. And we've talked about our awards. We've talked about the best games of the year and some of the weird stuff that went on. I don't think we'd be able to talk about all of the weird stuff that went on. Is there anything we've missed? I don't think so. I mean, we, we have a week left to play, but we've kind of covered it all. We've talked about everything that needs to be talked about. And I think the next few months are going to be, you know, what the, almost the next time we talk, it'll be who's on the team going forwards. What, what would they need to do to improve? But, you know, like I said at the beginning, even though a baseball season can suck and this one definitely did in a lot of ways, I think thinking back on this and some of the games and highlights, there's still a lot to take out of a, a bad season. And, that's going to be my takeaway, at least until we start, you know, taking over the team for our personal winter offseason plan. My, my, you know, sitting in solace, watching other teams play in the playoffs, 
it's not it's not all bad. You know, there are some good things to remember. There are some. <laughs> not gonna get carried away, but just gonna go out on a, a slight bit of a positive note. Um, we'll see. All right, so let's start to get things wrapped up here on the penultimate episode of season three of Yankees Files. Whipple, we may be back same time, same place next week. I'm going to be out of town for work. You got stuff going on. So we'll see when the final episode of season three really happens. But before we wrap this one up and before the Yankees hit the road to go to Toronto and Kansas City to wrap up the season, do you have any parting shots? Yeah, so I... I'm aggrieved by things that happen in baseball games that have no relevance to anything but my own personal satisfaction. And <laughs> I was aggrieved. Uh, I, I'm filing a grievance against Yankee Stadium, uh, the Yankee Stadium ticket goers on Thursday night for doing the wave in front yeah. of Garrett Cole when, you know what, it might not be a lot, but every run matters, not just for the Cy Young race, not just for wins and losses, but... For history, I mean, we're going to be looking at Garrett Cole's Cy Young season, uh, maybe some of us more than most. <laughs> looking back on baseball reference, do we want the final number that we're looking at? Do we want that ERA to start with a 2.6 or a 2.7? Well, I think Yankee Stadium wants it to start with a 2.7 because the wave that was done in front of him, causing him to throw a wild pitch, bringing in the one run he would allow in a really great outing against Toronto just solidified my belief that the wave needs to be banned everywhere. It is terrible. It's awful. It's really bad. It's not cool to do. It's not cool to look at. It. I think everybody thinks it's a fun way to divert oneself from the monotony of a baseball game. And to that, I say, it's not fun. Baseball's <laughs> really fun to watch. They do really cool things on the scoreboard, and you embarrass yourself on TV. And you know what? You embarrass yourself in front of the Cy Young winner because... You caused him to do a, a thing that is not good, and I, I shame you all. And I hope that we, Rob Manfred or whoever the next commissioner is can start to really address the important issues in the game, which is only banning the wave. Nothing else matters to me. I'm a single-issue voter. I agree that the wave ought to be banned. Now, we're going to truly wrap things up in earnest here. You can follow us everything we do at yankeesfiles.com. You can follow us on Twitter where we're at yankeesfiles. You can even follow us on TikTok where we're at yankeesfiles podcast. The podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. And we hope that you'll rate, review, and subscribe if you like it and just subscribe, download, listen to the episodes on silent a bunch of times, whatever. It all helps us if you don't like it. We'll be back sometime next week-ish to recap the final six games of the season in Toronto and Kansas City and put a bow on both the 2023 Yankees and season three of the Yankees Files. And until then, let's go Yankees. <laughs>